0: Welcome back to the Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson here for Tour de Swiss Stage 5 recap. Our show is brought to you by our show partner, Lacole. They produce performance cycling apparel. They've got the Lacole McLaren Project Aero Collaboration live on the site now, as well as summer bundles for all of you in Europe and North America. But this Tour de Swiss Stage 5. Speaking of the mountain air. This, we hit the hardest climb of the race today, 176 k's from start to Lurkabad, and it's the Erschmatt climb that would break up this race. Pretty easy before that, 8 k's, 8.4% intermediate sprint at the bottom, then a descent, then a drag to the line, 4.1 k's at 7% to the finish. No high altitude, but two difficult climbs back-to-back. GC, Mathieu Van wearing the leader's jersey going into this stage, narrowly ahead of Alaphilippe, was Carapaz a little bit further behind. But speaking speaking of the man, Benji, he decided to defy uh, convention as he does today, as as usual.
1: Yes, certainly. Uh, we had a breakaway at the start of the stage, and that breakaway included Mathieu van der Poel. Uh, Next to that, Ben Steiner, and Samitier, and again, Claudio Imhoff. I think the third time he's in the breakaway. I think the last time I had seen a Leeds jersey in the breakaway was Greg Van Avermaet in the Tour de France a few years ago. It probably happened in a few other races, but I just don't recall them so vigorously as the one from Van Avermaet because Belgium, you know, okay. Um, Anyway, that breakaway did have a solid lead. I was a bit surprised that they gave him up to like four minutes with a group with Vanderpool in it. But then again, let's be real. Looking at the final, he must have had miracle days to actually pull this off and win the stage. And I uh, didn't really see that happening personally, but I was hoping for it <laughs> a tiny bit. But um, a breakaway eventually got caught near the bottom of the uh, of the big climb of the day. So, the uh, third uh, KOM, which is that uh, Erschmatt climb you mentioned earlier. They,
0: they dropped him.
1: <laughs> Bernstein
0: and Sumidia dropped Van der Poel, I
1: think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or did he give up? I don't know. Maybe he just wanted some camera time going back to the Peloton. <laughs> we yeah, we're sorry, when did Pernstein and Sametier get brought back?
1: Well, basically near the bottom of the uh, the final proper, well, not the final climb, but the second last one, the Erschmatt. And that was when Jumbo started moving up to the front of the group. And I think they had three people at the front at a certain point, And one of them was punching towards the bottom of the climb. The second one was trying to set something up. And then there came an attack at the bottom of that Erschmatt climb by uh, Antoine Tolhoek, Hirsing's 14-year-old son. And uh, I didn't see it coming.
0: I was somewhat surprised because, remember, Ineos have got still Dennis and Dunbar left. And, yeah, it's an aggressive move to attack. So early there's other teams with more who need to play their cards uh, earlier on. And, yeah, they attacked really early. Eventually Tolhock sort of sat just up the road. There was another attack from Latour as Rowan Dennis started pacing, a little bit steep perhaps for Rowan Dennis. And then, yeah, Latour attacked, got brought back. And then it was Esteban Chavez attacking. Now, he did this in the Volta Catalunya Stage 4, I think Stage 4, that's right. He attacked, and it was when Carapaz was pacing. But he wasn't a threat on GC, so he was allowed to sort of have a 30- to 40-second leash. A similar thing happened today, although I don't think Ineos had much of a choice in it. It was Eddie Dunbar pacing. I don't think he could have brought him back any quicker. In the group with Dunbar was his teammate Carapaz, Fulsang, Shakman, Alaphilippe. Woods, Uran, Chavez, teammate Lucas Hamilton, as well as Sam Oman for Yumbo Vizna. So they eventually catch Toluk, that group. Chavez is sort of lingering up the road and then he he crested the climb first and then there's a tricky descent. Uh, Where did Fulsang attack Benji? Was that like through a little uh, series of houses before the crest? It was kind of reminding me of uh, the, the bit where sometimes Nibali attacked FulSang, no, when Nibali attacked Pino in uh, Lombardia, when it gets really narrow before the the uh, last ascent.
1: Yeah, that's actually a, a good point. It looks like that. It was a bit of a village just before the top of this climb, but it also reminded me now that we're comparing it to other races. To we once had a Vuelta where there was a breakaway battle between Nikita Stalnov and Benjamin King. And Stalinov got dropped in between such houses as well, if I recall correctly. And that's what it reminded me of. But hey, anyway, let's continue on with the race. Fulsang did that attack, and he was still pretty far behind Chavez at that point. Did we see some reaction by others? I think we saw some reactions. I think Uran tried to respond, and then we had Carapaz go to the wheel of Dad and Ella Philippe in the wheel of Carapaz. But I felt like Carapaz was waiting a tiny bit. He, he was trying to get other people to do the dirty work there. And um I even thought, oh, is he, is he okay? Because he's dropping through the group while the others are trying to counter this attack and so forth. So I was getting a bit, oh, haguar are you okay? But um yeah, eventually the group came back together, except for your boy Fulsung, who was up the road a tiny bit and was trying to bridge towards Chavez in that descent. But going into the descent, Chavez, well um he decided to park uh he, he, started, he decided to park on a driveway. Let's be real. Federal tresp- trespassing or something. Is that a thing? I don't know what the, the laws are in Switzerland. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty lucky, actually. So he, it's a
0: left-hand bend and he hits the apex and there was a, a change in road surface. And he seems either he breaks or it bucks him. I'm not sure what, but it, it throws him straight and he goes straight instead of turning left. And that throws him into this driveway. And the driveway, very luckily for him, there was one there, Perfect Tarmac. It acted as, you know, on a a long highway descent, they have the off-ramps for trucks that have brake failures, sort of cool their brakes. They go off to the side and it like goes up against to actually naturally brake them. It was basically that. And it braked Chavez safely and he was able to turn around and start his descent again. Whereas if that was a wall, he's crashing a lot more heavily so yeah but it, it kind of threw him it, it literally threw him that apex and then he was he lost a lot of time to full who caught him on the descent started working with him and eventually dropped him as it got started to rise at the end so you know short valley where they did work together but then rises up to look about 4k 7 percent it is full territory a man who's won lombardia last year he's won liege baston liege perfect sort of climb For him, and behind, it was Jumbo Visma pacing. Then Alaphilippe had done a little bit of the work, but it was Tolhook who'd attacked really early, uh, too early, and then he was pacing for Sam Oman. Were you surprised to see that, Benji, given that you've got, you know, everyone else in that group is more favoured in the GC to win this race than uh, Sam Oman?
1: I think you can look at it in multiple uh, perspectives. First of all, you can look at it firstly as they're trying to reduce the gap between them and the front of the race, but also you can look at it as they're trying to expand the gap between them and the people behind them to try and secure a top 10 positioning Swiss with Sam Oman and perhaps Stolhoek if he stays up there as well. But then again, if you play it tactically, you can force other people to do the work because you're going to end up with a situation if you don't go to the front that somebody else will take over or attacks will follow. And I think that perhaps they try to do it to avoid attacks because they knew they weren't going to be able to follow the moment that attacks would happen. That's the only like idea that I could give them. But from a tactical perspective, you try to force your competitors, even if you've got the upper hand numerically. If they're so much better, they need to do the work. And also because they've got a higher they got chance more, of winning GCC, more to lose. Like you said, more, it. Yeah.
0: They, yeah. Exactly. Got more to lose. Like, and if they attack, then maybe use Toluk and Erman to try and they can go to their wheel. I mean, it's not going to be easy, but then sit on them. You don't have to work with them. You can say, yeah. oh, I got the other guy behind. I guess you could do that as well. I think pacing Carapaz back to full saying almost guaranteed what eventually did happen, which yeah. was El Hagwa de Tulcan jumping out of that group, he'd been pretending like he had bad legs or sitting at the back, waiting. Shackman had been doing much of the same, but he wasn't able, whereas Philippe had been doing a lot of the work. Uh, and Alaphilippe was really, really twitchy and nervous. He was going back to the car, asking for a bottle. He nearly ch- ch- chopped himself on the back of Carapaz's back wheel. He was doing the things, you know, when in uh, Liège last year, he was acting weird, and then oh, he just – acting a bit funny and getting really sort of stressed and irritated. But, yeah, Carapaz attacked, and when we saw that, no one could respond. Thermonuclear? Tried-
1: okay. hmm.
0: I think so because Sharkman have been sitting on. Um, it, it was uh, maybe not actually because he didn't drop Fulsang when he went. He got to Fulsang's wheel and then decided to attack past him, but Fulsang got back to his wheel. If he straight dropped Fulsang, then we can attribute it to the thermonuclear moniker, but it's more just El Hagua eating his prey, uh, <laughs> rain, hail, or shine, and, yeah, gets into a group with Fulsang, and they start working together because Fulsang, they're both uh, 38 seconds behind on GC or so, or has not as far back on GC. And, uh, yeah, what did you think of Alaphilippe behind Benji? Do you think, is this like another example of where he's, a lot of pressure's put on him to pace when he's not even actually a better GC rider in this sort of race than Uran or on this climb than Uran or Hamilton or, or Woods or or uh, who else is there? Shackman.
1: In all honesty, I'm not underestimating Ala Philippe at this point because from what we saw, from what his schedule was the last few months, I feel like he's subtly straight up aiming for GC at the tour. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's his actual proper goal. And looking at how he's climbing right now, I'm saying he's doing pretty damn good of a job at the moment. So He's, he's looking at a potential top 10 in the Tour from what I can see right now, potentially more if, if we see even more. But today, he's in a group where if people bring him to full sign and Carapaz, then Philippe is likely going to win this stage. The problem is that these other GC riders need to realize as well that if they don't pace, they're losing GC anyway. So you might as well pace a bit because like, I feel like it would be uh, much more beneficial because at a certain point, Ala Philippe would come to the front with like one KG go and he'd be like, okay, uh, if you guys don't want to win, then I, I might as well just pace a tiny bit till the line. So I think that there could have been much more understanding in that group. They've got the same goal, GC, and Ala Philippe could have an extra thing in that. But Ala Philippe winning the stage shouldn't stop a rider like Uran to somewhat keep on pacing and so forth because. You're reducing your possibilities of doing well in GC. That's my take on it, at least. Yeah. Definitely the last kilometer, let's be real.
0: They leant on him a lot, and you saw that the finish. fleet was very tired. But uh, in that finish, Carapaz and Fulsang went there together. Fulsang took the front with 250 meters to go. It's yeah. uphill. They're still climbing. Uh, so 250 meters is a long way out. And he took the front, and basically let out Carapaz. Carapaz uh, got a good snap, good kick, especially uphill. I was surprised to see Fulsang do that because he's not as good a sprinter as Carapaz. And, yeah, what we expected happened. He let out Carapaz. Carapaz (laughs) waited, 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 and then jumped out of his wheel when he wanted to in the last 30 30 metres and won pretty comfortably despite doing probably the lion's share of the work on the last climb as well as bridging, uh, yeah, bridging with the big attack on that climb as well. So dominant victory for Carapaz. Eddie Dunbar did a good job. And he came back after the descent as well, but still, it's not like the Ineos team put this on a platter for Carapaz. He had yeah. to do. A, he had to do a fair bit of work himself too. Uh, and he, he achieved the double here with the stage victory. He had a Carapaz at the same time. Woods takes four bonus seconds, third thirty nine seconds back, so pretty big gap. Hamilton fourth, Uran fifth, Schapman sixth, Alaphilippe seventh, Vivo eighth, and then Chavez loses ten seconds. Then Oomen and tollhook tenth and eleventh. GC now, Carapaz is the second part of what he achieved, goes into the leader's jersey, 26 seconds ahead of Fulsang and 33 seconds ahead of Alaphilippe. And Schuckman fourth, same position. Then Uran, Hamilton, Woods, Erman Chavez, Posidiva round out the top 10. Uh, tomorrow's stage is the has the most climbing in it. It's got the... F- climb
1: climb. It is.
0: It is. No, no, you're right. Benji's 100% right, and this is the one. San, it opens with San Gotardo out the gate, 8.3K, 7.1%. It's short to 130 K Then a long descent, valley, and then this is the Dennis climb of this year's Tour de Suisse, <laughs> the Emmanuel climb, 18.2Ks up to 2,000 meters or so, 5.6%, absolutely perfect for him. Then descent and then like a, a drag. Again, if Dennis makes it over that climb, you won't be able to attack any os. It's seven Ks at three and a half percent with a flat flat finish. who's gonna win this stage, Benji? Is it is I think we I'm gonna be most interested, the thing I'm gonna be most watching is Ala Philippe on these long climbs, particularly if Dennis is setting a hard pace, although I don't think he will. I think he'll be keeping it together as opposed to sort of attacking last year on the Stelvio. what do you think? Break got any chance?
1: Nah, no, I, I don't think so. I feel like um, Dennis should keep it together on the climb, but also there's so many riders here that are likely still going to try and go on the attack earlier on on the climb. Like a tried it today, but he's probably going to try it tomorrow again because in GCs, he's like two minutes and a half down. So he needs to try from afar unless he's happy with a ninth position in GC. So there's a lot of riders that still have to do with a lot of stuff. This is also not the final mountain stage, which means that some might be saving energy. But um I'd expect some action and I I hope that GC wins. Let, let me say it like that. Uh in regards to who could potentially take it, uh Ala Philippe, yeah, but also perhaps like Woods, I don't know. Uh his sprint against Ala Philippe at LBL was not was not optimal at all, but this is a very different situation. And after such a climbing stage, perhaps Woods could uh could actually take it home. And it's not like the descents are like very steep, which means that. His descending factor, while it was good today, will likely not play too much of a part tomorrow either. So I think um, Woods would be a name I'd love to say, although most likely I see Philippe taking this one home personally.
0: I see Carapaz, he has a good chance for a back-to-back yeah. win tomorrow. Um, I think the GC gaps are still so small that he's got to keep this race really tight. You can't let a guy take 30 seconds uh, because, you know, you think he'll bring it back. I think got to keep it super tight. I know where Pernsteiner is on G. Uh, if there was someone to win from a break, if Pernsteiner would be the sort of man he's. Nice. Yeah, but uh, he'd have to have a lot of help and he have to have the right combination. Other teams. Tom Dumoulin? Yeah. This is I mean, his kind of
1: climb too, you know?
0: Like, steady yeah. gradient? Maybe if he goes, yeah, I mean, Dumo in the break, I think it'd be good to see that. It'd go we'll in the break. Him. The problem is the climb at the start. Like you can't get Van Hoydonk in, you know, in a group with you because there's a long valley as well. That's why this stage yeah. is difficult for the break because you want to get. Maybe they want the break to go on that descent and then you can get Van Hoydonk and do Milan with Turnus and then yeah, get a nice yeah. Game.
1: But this could offer an opportunity for Jumbo to try and uh, play something tactically because you've got that climb at the start. You've got the option to put Dumoulin in the breakaway there, but also you got the option of trying something with either Oman or Tollhook, putting them in the breakaway will likely neutralize the break from the inside. But if you got Dumoulin pacing there for the entire descent and the first section of the Luke pause, you've got a, a chance to try and throw this uh, to the Swiss around and it are be pretty fun to see. So yeah, perhaps I'm just hoping that the race gets opened up on the first climb already, which
0: is a bit unlikely. I think of us <laughs> are a little bit vulnerable. Uh, Dennis... It'll suit him more tomorrow rather than the steeper climb today, for sure. But, you know, Golash and Al not as good on these sort of climbs. Luke Rowe, great in the valley, but maybe not the climb. So Dennis will have to do a big shift on that long climb, as well as Eddie Dunbar, because Sivikov looks absolutely terrible. I think he, I don't know where he finished today, but he wasn't able- Oh, he's
1: here. I forgot about him like
0: yeah, for it's five days. It's weird. He did the crash in the Giro, then they've thrown him into the Tour de Suisse. And he he had a fractured collarbone, I think, in the Swiss, to the Swiss, and he's doing so. He's doing the Vuelta. I don't know what like he's he's nowhere near race proper race shape. So yeah, I think they just hoped he'd be an extra climber to help Carapaz or to give him some race days like Dumoulin. But he certainly won't help. So Dennis and Dunbar are the men for Carapaz, and he'll need both of them to pull a big shift tomorrow, or maybe he goes on the offense. Who knows? Uh, he's the sort of guy he is um uh, it should be a good stage tomorrow and yeah the tour de swiss is really heating up i want to see let's see what our fleet can do on these longer climbs whether he's just hanging on or whether he's fresh
1: for the finish uh but yeah anything else from the tour de Suisse, benji that's caught your eye mm, not directly i think that's roughly about it for this stage i had a question but i totally forgot about it so i guess i'm gonna have to keep it for uh Well, actually, I got it. I got it. Like, uh whenever we see Domenico Pozzovivo on his bike, he always seems to be leaning like sideways on his bike, like resting more on his right arm than his left arm. Is that like a leftover from an injury or no clue? If anybody knows, just drop it below because I'm genuinely curious.
0: Yeah, I think Pozzo I'd love to see him just commit to going. He won his last stage win was Tour de Suisse, stage six actually. So that's a nice I'd love to see Pozzovivo win actually tomorrow, but yeah, that was his last win, the stage six of the Swiss in twenty seventeen, and a decent <laughs> finish. Uh, but I think it might be difficult for him tomorrow. I'd love to see him just commit for going for stages. Um, to be honest, he's won two, three World Tour races in his career.
1: I he think. can win so much more.
0: He he's still a really good climber, still top climber. He's in this sort of group, but he's nowhere near good enough to really compete for GC at any Grand Tour, and even yeah, so. Anyway, that's just a sort of inefficiency that seems to regularly occur in World Tour cycling, and perhaps another yep. off-season topic. But now we'll onto the Tour of Slovenia. If you're listening on podcast players, or that's a separate video on YouTube if you're watching there. Welcome back to the Lantern Recycling Podcast with Benji and here for Tour of Slovenia Stage 2. Recap, we'll have some highlights in this video for you as well if you're watching on YouTube. Thanks to Lacole for supporting this show. This Stage 2 is 148Ks with two longer climbs, 5K 7% in the middle of the stage and the Svetina climb 5.2K 7.7% then a descent. And then a punch to the finish 2Ks at 7.2%. Benji and I, naively, probably with our World Tour hats on, were saying, Oh, it'll probably be a puncher finish and, you know, like most likely be a group and then a sprint at the end for Pagatra and Ulysses. Well. Gatcha showed his cards in this stage today. But before we get to Pogacar's dominance, there was a breakaway that opened up today with uh, one familiar name in Benji.
1: Yes, certainly. Uh, we had Dan Bigam in it. We also had some other riders in there. Uh, Konishev, Molly, Banashek. We had Araiz Kuznetsov, the guy that got, I think, third in Hindwevillgim, the one Peter Sagan won in 2016, I think. Crazy ride by him at Katusha that day. But um, yes, indeed, the most notable name that people might know is uh, Dan Bigham because he's also, uh, next to being a cyclist, sometimes commentator, co-commentator on, I think, GCN. And next to that also works for Nyambo, if I recall correctly, as an arrow guy. But that was already the the majority of the information I have on the guy. Nonetheless, the breakaway wasn't going to uh, really play a big role here today. We had uh, two teams in the peloton really showing control. Perhaps two and a half teams, I'd say, because UAE was pacing a lot. We had Bahrain pacing a lot. But also, you know, showing towards the front a tiny bit before the intermediate sprint happened on today's stage and it seemed like they were planning something for that right
0: yeah you know X they're always active you got to respect, uh, respect those guys they animate races particularly in Belgium they have this year maybe it didn't pay, pay off for them today uh, <laughs> they, had, they had the break in check pretty early everyone and then they were like okay let's fan, let's slow down we don't want to catch them too early uh, but they did before that last intermediate sprint now I don't know if Bahrain were going for to get, to get Bauhaus points or, or what was happening he was definitely on the front but Bahrain Bahrain pacing after UNO-X paced into the base of this climb, which is 52 k of 7.7%, it split the peloton. No one was really expecting it or maybe just someone lost the wheel. It was narrow and a few twists into that Svatina climb. And we basically had a group with Bauhaus, Tratnik, uh, Pagaccia, and, yeah, that was pretty much – and Vergard Steker-Langen, the uh, Norwegian as well, I think. So he was in that group. And so they've pretty much – Bahrain created a perfect situation for Pagaccia. Bauhaus promptly drops, of course. I mean, he's, he's a sprinter. So we have a group of three on this climb at the base of the Svetina climb. Pagacius, langen pacing him, obviously, selflessly, and then Tratnik sitting on. And Tratnik's obviously looked outstanding in the Giro climbing and in flesh, but... Uh, today he he didn't have as good legs and maybe he's a bit tired or understandably tired from that long he's had a, a long period of racing and he dropped earlier than I expected maybe because the pace was very high on the but yeah he dropped off that pace so we got Pagaccha going clear Steker Langen's gone but Pagaccha didn't go full straight away on the flatina not straight away he then we could see the camera cut back to Micah and Ullas now I I thought. I had some gut feeling told me just because this was a similar stage to the ones Ulyssi's done well at in the past in Slovenia. I was like, maybe they go for Ulusi today, UAE. And that's what seemed to be happening. Michael was on the radio. Pogacar seemed to ease up a bit. And Michael was bringing back Ulyssi to the Pogacar. So then, but they're bringing with them Matteo Sobrero, the Italian 24-year-old out of contract. I mean, if you want to sign a talented yeah. guy with TT, well, maybe that's a separate topic for the off-season pencil his name down. They're bringing him with them. So they bring him back to Pagaccia. We've got three UAE, Pagaccia, Ulissi, Maiko. And, and we're thinking, okay, business as usual, Sobrera as well on the back. Maiko's going to pace and then we'll set up Ul- Ulissi for the stage when we'll drop Sobrero later. But that's not what happened. Pagana just decided to attack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, and I, I remember when I did the preview video. This is because if you look, remember that Vlasov, Chavez, uh, Pagana, Ulisi situation. Remember what happened there? Pagana gave the go-ahead to Ullasie to attack at the end of that climb. Well, he's never won a Zurich Slovenia stage. He probably doesn't. You know, if if Ulussi goes up the road, he could gain a minute on GC or something. I think he wants to in GC here. So he was like, "No, nah, I'm attacking today." Drops all those guys. Those two then sit on Sabrero, who paces them at a good pace on the climb, and Pogaccio goes clear, gets a 35-second gap very quickly. I think chasing behind Benji, it was James Shaw on oh another UAE rider. Uh, he was being paced by the UAE rider as well. Mohoric was- Yeah, Polansar is probably a good, the, the right one. Uh, Mohorich was coming back as well, but he got dropped pretty early on the climb. It seemed like- It's weird, Benji, like Bahrain pacing into the base and then Mohoric being completely out of position. It's kind of surprising to me. I mean, what could Bahrain's plan have been today? And if you were Bahrain, would you have chosen this climb as the one to try and attack the gacha at the base?
1: I think that it's weird that they went all out just before the climb. And I think it perhaps is a bit of a situation where they're trying to put pressure on UAE before the climb happens. And to make sure that the attacks that UAE does on the climb are less effective than the ones they had initially planned to do towards uh, Bahrain. But I think the idea should not be to have more rich attack on the climb. I think the idea should be to have them attack in the descends. I think this Fatina descend is also one he descended on and he attacked on a few years ago. I do expect that an attack from this team is more likely to come with Mohoric on the descent than on the uphill section and that Trotnik perhaps was the rider they were going, going to try and keep up there as well on the climbing section. But again, his legs were not there on the day, at least not the ones we've uh, been seeing in previous uh, previous weeks. But yeah, I don't think we can tell an entire story about it. There was one rider much better than it. All the others in this race when it comes to the climbing and whatever Bahrain would have done today would not have been enough to get Pogaccio of that top step so does it really matter?
0: I think it does, I think it does matter because mm-hmm. what Benji just mentioned It came to life in reality in that when Pogaccio goes over the top of the climb clear, he's got like a minute 12 gap. That's such a big gap that even when he he took the descent pretty cautiously, it wasn't as wet that descent. Maybe he knows it as well. But behind, Sobrero drops the two UAE guys easily. Uh, yeah. Ulisse and Micah. And then Morich, who was way back, catches Sabre- catches them on the descent and then goes past, and they catch up to Sobrero in this sort of 7K valley before the final climb. And then Sobrero and Morich start working in the valley trying to put pressure on the UAE guys. So it seemed like the best point in the race, if they did want to put pressure on UAE, who do have the strongest team by far here, particularly on the climbs, was on the descent, was on the valley, and if they wanted to make a difference with Morris, it would have been let's hope this climb is yep, slow. True. Let's let's hope the climb slow, and then if Pagetra attacks over the top, gets fifteen twenty seconds, maybe Morris can even catch that back up at the end. But anyway, Pagetra went clear solo, did the climb on his own, the last two k seven percent climb in front of all the home fans, honouring the race, and he's looking in good shape for the tour, <laughs> yeah, winning this certainly. stage easily, a minute and twenty two seconds out of the chasers who were basically then Micah Yeah, such a big gap that Micah let up Ulysses on the last climb, but he actually got beaten by Morich in the uphill sprint for Byron victorious, so not a UAE 1-2. So it's Pagaccia, Morich second, Ulysses third on the same time with Sobrero, fantastic effort from him. Then Kangat, Shaw, Micah, Carboni, who we saw in the Giro, Jonathan Lastra, and then Poulence makes up the uh, the top 10. But, yeah, anything else to say apart from just Pagaccia, pure dominance in this stage, Benji?
1: Yeah, not really. I think that was a fun stage to uh, to watch. I think that we were kind of expecting. I think we mentioned yesterday that we thought about a strategy for UA where they could attack with Pogacha on the climb and keep Ulisi for the final sprint. If it all comes together, it didn't come together anymore. So Pogacar takes it. And I think we're going to see a repeat of that on stage. Is it four? The climbing yeah, one? Four. I think it is. I think there's no one in the peloton that can beat Pogachar on an uphill finish uh so quite certain that he's going to be the winner there unless something uh odd happens but that's about it for this stage i think i think we need to take a look at the next one
0: yeah it's always great to see the tour de france champ just absolutely destroy a race even if the competition isn't as good stage 367 k's from Bresice to cresco and this this is a sort of who's going to get over that final climb 1k 6.85 percent uh comes with thirteen Ks from the finish. It comes after the Shremich climb, four point three Ks at five point six percent. I think I think Bike Exchange got a ride full for Rob Stanard here. He's who I think could take his first pro win. I think Bauhaus, they gotta make him vulnerable on those two climbs and ride absolutely max there. Um, other quick finishes are Fellini and yeah, Fellini and I don't know if um who's your man Ar- Aberasturi, he can get over small hills, can't he, Benji?
1: Yeah, indeed. You you were going to say Aramburu, right? But it's the yeah. wrong one. Well, it's, there's, uh, jo-
0: there's Aramburu here, but not the right one.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, it's joking. <laughs> he's ready for some puns, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Aberasturi is my uh, my pick for this stench. I agree that that hill could cause trouble for a Bauhaus. I do still think that he's likely going to get over it. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I am. Looking forward to a stage win by Abidastad. He was close on the first day, really close. And I think he's not that far away from Bauhaus when it comes to the sprinting ability. So with the ability of getting over climbs that is better than Bauhaus, in my opinion, at least from what we've seen in the Veldas before, then I truly believe that he could uh, be the victor of this Third stage in, well, not even going to pronounce it. (laughs) I'll I'll
0: be interested to see how how, uh, Anilkovsky goes, whether he gets over the climbs okay, as well as Rory Townsend. He missed out on the first stage uh, for Canyon DHB Sun God. I think Townsend is supposed to be quite quick. I'll be interested to see how he goes, uh, as well as... Yeah, I just I think it's a it's a really good opportunity for Rob Stanard. They got the team Edmondson, Kangert, Callum Scottson, and Andres Ice, Buley. That that's a team that should be able to put some pressure on Bauhaus on these low, sort of shallow climbs. As well as the the man the myth the legend, Rostrepo, who he's either in the race and you know, or you don't even know he's there. Uh, but yeah, that was the <laughs> Tourist Slovenia stage two recap. GC Pretty much looks over already, but um, we always knew that was likely to be the case because Pagasha is just a step above everyone here. And, uh, yeah, he's looking good for the Tour de France defense in a couple of weeks. But until the stationary recap, ciao.